0: Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson for this Pentecost Sunday is Acts chapter two, selected verses, the sending of the Holy Spirit, Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They heard this sound. A crowd came together in bewilderment because they heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was a proud parent moment, so I'm gonna begin maybe with a bit of a boast. It was almost an ideally executed road trip. This past winter to celebrate Christmas and the New Years, my wife and I and all our kids drove from Fredericksburg back to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where my family lives. And We drove through the night. And so we planned this out perfectly, that the kids would not get naps, dad would get a nap, and that just after supper, we would get in the car and we would drive through the night I had my caffeine all timed out perfectly, so after supper, we got in the car, we started driving for the first couple of hours, the excitement of being on a road trip was palpable, everyone was pumped, and then everyone got tired, the kids all fell asleep, my wife got to fall asleep, and so in the peace and the quiet of the night, I drove to Wisconsin made it through the Pennsylvania and the Ohio Turnpike before around four in the morning, right along the Ohio-Indiana border. I got tired, tapped out, called in the reliever. My wife drove the rest of the way, and everything was really ideal. All our kids slept so well and were so good in the car. And then the sun came up. Over Chicago, they started to wake up. I was sitting in the passenger seat and I turned around and, and my second son Gabriel woke up first. He started to cry. I thought surely he's just uncomfortable. Maybe he has to take a road stop for the bathroom. Of course, he's been sitting in the car seat all night. That's not good. he asked where we were. I explained to him we're, we're in Chicago. Remember we talked about that big city we're gonna drive through? And then I could see him adding things up. His lip began to quiver a little bit. He said, Dad, does that mean we already passed the windmills? And my heart sank into my stomach. Because somewhere around like 10.30 p.m., I made the executive decision that we would not go straight west over to Indianapolis, take Highway 65 straight north, and drive past the wind farm. Now, I made the decision that we were going to cut off about an hour and a half of our trip, pay for the tolls, and just go a little northwest and head to Milwaukee. And so we missed it, because I thought the central Indiana Highway 65 scenery was boring, not really worth the detour, my boys miss seeing their favorite site along the drive, the wind farm. I mean, they, they kind of have a point. If you think about it, have you ever seen a wind farm and, and just hundreds of windmills scattered across the country? It's impressive. It's impressive because they are massive. They are 260 feet tall by themselves. If you count the blades, they're 380 feet tall. And And this particular wind farm, there's 400 of them just scattered across the Indiana fields. You can see them for a long distance as you drive up, and they're pretty powerful. If you know something about them, that these 400 windmills produce enough electricity for almost a quarter million homes in that region. That's 500 homes for every one windmill that you see. It's all because of wind. Wind, which is this kind of funny thing. You can't see it. You know that, right? I mean, you can see leaves blow along the ground, but you can't see wind. You can't hear wind either. You know that, right? I mean, you can hear it rushing down an alleyway or through trees, but you actually can't hear or see wind. And yet wind is very, very powerful. I thought of wind... And I thought of windmills on this story as I meditated on our Pentecost lesson for this morning from Acts chapter 2. Because scripture often refers to, well, the spirit and wind in the same breath, pun intended. It's because in the Old Testament, the word ruach means both spirit and wind. In the New Testament, punoima means both spirit and wind. And Jesus himself compares the work of the Holy Spirit to wind itself. You don't see wind. You don't know where wind comes from, but it's powerful. It's really powerful. What does the Holy Spirit have the power to do? That's our thought for Pentecost this morning. What is the work that the Holy Spirit does? You know, we confess it every single Sunday, that we believe in the Holy Spirit and the work that he does. We say that I believe in the holy Christian church. What does that mean except that, well, you and me, we're holy because of the Holy Spirit. It's not by our thinking or choosing or anything that we did to become holy, but he called us. He enlightened us. He, he sanctified us. You know what that means? It means make holy. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He made us holy, and, and not just you and me, but the communion of saints, the community of saints. He takes a group of sinners, which you and I are, and he turns us into a community of saints connected to one another to form the very body of Christ, his church. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And he doesn't do it just like, you know, one time, but he does it again and again. He daily forgives all of our sins and strengthens us in the faith. He does that every single day of our lives. And so we know that in the end, he's gonna raise up our bodies. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's gonna raise up our bodies so that we not only enjoy life with Christ here and now, but life everlasting with him in heaven. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You might say, Yeah, well, I know that because I confess that every single week. But how does he do that? How is it that the Holy Spirit goes about that? Because here, here's the reality the Holy Spirit doesn't just operate in a vacuum. If you think about wind, now, this wind to operate a windmill needs to blow. Without the wind, it would just be a very tall, monument sitting there in the middle of Indiana. You need wind. But at the same time, if you look at a windmill, it also needs, well, for the sake of this illustration, let's say it needs the blades. It needs three of them to rotate and be aligned with the wind, to capture the wind, to turn, and not to get too far into things, but inside there's gears that turn a generator that create electricity. That's how the Holy Spirit works, the Holy Spirit is the power, is, is the wind. And yet, he doesn't just operate in a vacuum. He operates with certain tools that he has given to us, to the church, in order to turn, in order to create faith in us and all believers. This morning, what I wanna do is, is unpack maybe this picture or metaphor of a windmill and and look at the three different blades or the three different tools that the Holy Spirit blows on and turns in order to generate, not electricity, but saving faith in the hearts of believers. Here's the first one. We're looking at selected passages from Acts chapter two, Peter's sermon to the crowds that were gathered there. Beginning at verse 23, Peter addressing the crowd says, "'This man,' he's talking about Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Think about this picture that there's a festival going on in Jerusalem. Crowds of people were gathered there already. The Holy Spirit did a miraculous thing. Like the sound of wind, he comes rushing into the city. Flames of fire go on top of the heads of the apostles. They began speaking in many different languages. And so a crowd gathers around the 12, and Peter stands up and begins to preach a sermon, a sermon that unpacks the story of God's plan of salvation, that he promised to God's people that the son of David would come, and the son of David would sit on a throne, but he wouldn't rule here on this earth. He would rule in our hearts through the gospel. He explained to him, to all of them gathered there, that this one came already. It was Jesus, and what did you do? You heard it. He said, you did it. You killed him. You did that with the help of wicked men. He said, God enacted all of history. He, he brought Christ to the forefront to be your Messiah, both your Lord and your Messiah. And you are on the wrong side of history because you put him to death. You see what Peter's doing here, he's using the first tool or what we're gonna call the first blade of this, this windmill analogy. He's using the law. The Holy Spirit, through Peter, is using the law. The Holy Spirit, Peter, to stand up and preach a very straightforward message of the law. What is the law? It's, well, it's God's word. It's, it's one of the two main teachings of God's word that, that shows us our sin. And in this specific case, it convicted a very specific group of a very specific sin, putting their Savior to death. And it wasn't without effect. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And this is the point. This is the point of God's law. To first make you realize that well, you do things that are against God's will. You do sins. It leads you to a point to wonder what do, you, what do you gotta do? What do you gotta do to get right with God? And that's the point of Peter's sermon. That's the point of the Holy Spirit working through the law. It's to show you that no matter how many laws you keep, you can never keep them all perfectly. No matter how good you try, what you do is never good enough. There isn't a little prayer that you can say to just make yourself right with God. There's not a decision that you can make to just get yourself right with God. There's nothing that you can do to do away with your sins. And so listen to how Peter replies to the people who are cut at heart, who said, what should we do? He said, repent. Peter replied to the crowd that day, repent. And what does that word mean? It's a very familiar church word that, well, you hear in the church and you, you maybe even hear out in the world, repent, repent. And it has kind of a heavy connotation. Perhaps you remember in, in the past, I've, I've given you the picture of repentance in terms of maybe a dance step. It's a two-step dance move. It's at once turning away from sin and, and second, looking to the cross of Christ and seeing The good, the forgiveness he gives there. But this morning, I want to give you a different picture to remember what repentance is. Repentance brought about by the preaching of God's law, his word, is kind of like an exhale. If you would take a deep breath and breathe out. You do that again and again and again and again. And before long, kind of feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? You realize that, well, you need to take a breath in. I hope you're breathing by now. You can breathe normally. But this is the picture of repentance, breathing out the bad things that are in us. Humans, we breathe out carbon dioxide, breathe out the waste that comes from our bodies using oxygen. (sighs) We get rid of it. That's what God calls us to do with our our waste, our sin. If you've done things in your life that you know full well go against what God's word say, (sighs) repent. The things that you have done and you can't really remember, but you know you haven't been perfect, God's word says, (sighs) Repent. If you sit down and you look at your calendar and your budget and you realize that you might say your values are aligned with God's word, they they clearly aren't, (sighs) repent. For the disrespect that, kids, you've shown your parents, (sighs) we repent. For the lack of love, parents, that that we've shown kids, (sighs) repent. For the sinful thoughts that we've had that nobody ever even knows about, (sighs) we repent. That's what God's word calls us to do when we we hear God's law, the preaching that shows us our sins. God's word calls us to (sighs) get rid of them, repent, speak them out, We need to, we need to do that. You guys know that a body would die if it (gasps) held its breath forever. We need to get rid of those sins. And what I hope you realize this morning is not only the necessity of us needing to repent, but also the good, the good of the preaching of the law, the good of repentance, because it gets rid of the waste. It gets rid of the sin and it kind of hurts. You know, it gets a little uncomfortable. If you breathe it all out, it gets uncomfortable. If you ever get hit in the stomach or the ribs and and lose your breath, it doesn't feel very good. But what the Holy Spirit is doing through, through the preaching of the law, well, he's acting as a surgeon who, yeah, it hurts to get cut and it does cut. But what the surgeon of the Holy Spirit does is remove the cancerous tumor of sin in our lives. And here's the good thing that you need to know. Holy Spirit doesn't leave us ever open and bleeding on the operating table. No, he fills us with a new heart and the breath of life. Take a deep breath. Breathe in, because Peter doesn't stop here. He goes on and he says to those who are gathered there, not just repent, but be baptized. Be baptized, every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, the reason why we love God's law and we even love to repent is because it's not just breathing out the bad. It's also breathing in the good. Take a deep breath. Breathe in the promises that Christ's spirit has given to you. There's peace with you and God because all your sins They're completely forgiven. Breathe in the good news that Jesus Christ, he doesn't remember a single one of your sins. Take that breath of fresh gospel good air and feel the spirit fill you with the righteousness that can only come not from yourself, but from Christ Jesus who yet died for you, but rose from you and united you with himself in the waters of your baptism. We do it all the time in church. We start out our worship services with confession. We come in here after a week's worth of life. We take a breath. We breathe out. But at the very same time, we don't stop there. We breathe in the mercy, the peace, the compassion, and the love of Christ. That's what repentance is in its totality. And that's what really, well, the second blade on this windmill is. It is the preaching of the gospel. It's the law that the Spirit uses to show us our sin and convict us of our sin. But it is the fresh good air of the gospel that the Spirit loves to bring into your hearts and to your lives, convincing you that you are, in fact, forgiven. Peter, talking to this group of people who was cut at the heart, said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. What does baptized in Jesus' name mean? Well, we got to see it, hear it, and witness it this morning. It means that you are adopted into Christ's family. That the robes of Christ's righteousness, which he has and he alone has, Well, he gives to you. He covers over you completely. What does it mean to be baptized in Jesus' name? Well, except that you also have the forgiveness of sins. That in your baptismal font, your sins are washed away and they stay there. They don't go with you. The sins that you've done in the past, the sins that you will do in the future, the Holy Spirit knows and he washes them all away you don't just get Jesus. You don't just get Jesus and his forgiveness. No, the good news is that you also get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you, breathes in you, both out, giving you the ability to breathe out, repent of of our sins, and also inhale, the good news of God's forgiveness. There's one more. Peter said to the crowd gathered there, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You wanna know what the most amazing miracle of Pentecost was? You might be tempted to say the the rushing in of the Holy Spirit that sounded like a train was shaking the house. That's pretty cool. Maybe it's the... uh, the flames of fire that appeared over people's head, marking them with the Holy Spirit, that, that's the coolest miracle. Or maybe the uh, quick learning language skills, better than Rosetta Stone, that the Holy Spirit gave to his apostles. That's the best gift. You might say, no, 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 Pastor, we know where you're going with this. It's, it's the fact that 3,000 people, 3,000 people who just weeks, weeks earlier, We're we're chanting, crucify him, crucify him. We're now looking to Christ as their savior. Maybe that's the greatest miracle. Surely that's that's it. We can take it a step further. It's the fulfilled promise that Christ gave to the church that you are living, breathing examples of today. That Christ has called you, in these words, to be his very own. People make a huge deal about Pentecost because 3,000 people were added to God's family that day. How about this? 2.6 billion people today. And let's not forget about those throughout history who are added to God's family. That's the promise. That's the miracle of Pentecost. But there's one more blade, one more windmill, if you will, it's you. It's the fact that God uses you to share that promise, the promises of both law and gospel. Peter was an example of that. Peter stood up, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. God promises that he is going to use you to share both law and the gospel. He promised that, he prophesied that in the Old Testament through the prophet Joel that it would happen. He would pour out his spirit and those people would share the message of law and gospel, that the spirit would use them to to turn the windmill of his his tools of, of saving grace to create faith in people's hearts. You and me speaking law and gospel. It's easy for us to... To look at things in life and go, ah, eh, someone else will do it. Maybe at work, we see a light bulb out and we go, ah, eh, it's not my job. Someone else will fix that. Maybe we, we walk down the street and we, we see some litter, or something small on the side, and we go, yes, someone else will pick that up. It's easy to do that in our life of faith, too. To hear God's promise that you will prophesy. And, and what does it mean to prophesy? Well, no, it's not just predicting the future. No, it's, it's pointing to God's word and, and all of his revelation. It's simply sharing law and gospel. It's easy to see that and say, nah, that sharing law and gospel is for the pastor. That's for the way kids, teachers. No, it's you. In God's infinite wisdom, he, he chose the tools, the means of grace that he would use to create not electricity in a windmill, but faith in hearts. It's his word. It's the it's sacrament of baptism and communion. But it's also you carrying those things. You are the, the ministerial means, if you will, the ministers that bring God's saving grace to people. Maybe it's you doing that this summer at our science camp, speaking words of long gospel to, to the families that come. Maybe it's you doing that in your own life with your, with your loved ones, with, with your friends and your neighbors. Maybe it's you doing it on a Sunday morning in a life group to people you know well or people who are new friends. That is how God creates and strengthens faith. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit blowing in our lives and not just in a vacuum. He does it every time we speak words of law and we speak words of gospel. I skipped Highway 65 because I think it's boring. Don't tell my children I said that. I'll make sure to go that way this summer when we go visit family for a wedding. But the Holy Spirit is often skipped, if you will, because, well, he's kind of the forgotten person of the Trinity. Maybe people see his his work as not that interesting because we don't really see it, we don't see wind. We don't really spend time thinking about it. The promise of Pentecost is that his work, though, is powerful. It is powerful because it works, It's powerful because he promised to work through it. He promised that he's gonna use both law and gospel first to convict hearts, but also to strengthen hearts in the message of forgiveness. So using this metaphor of the windmills, let's not take a different route. Go straight there, straight to your God's word, both law and gospel, and share those with those you have in your life. May God grant this for the Spirit's sake. Amen.